Welcome to School Biz Chat with Kim Cranston, OASBO Executive Director. Each episode of this podcast is dedicated to discussing events and issues that affect the people who are in the business of supporting students. Now, let's take a few minutes to see what's going on in the school business world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to School Biz Chat. I'm so glad you're joining us today. I'm especially pleased that we have State Board of Education President Charlie Shields joining us today. And Charlie's going to share a little bit about his background. But for all of you MOASBO members out there, I'm really excited because of the variety of perspectives he brings to this conversation. And I'm going to let him share a little bit about his background. So Charlie, thank you so much for joining us. And if you would, tell our MOASBO members about your background and then in particular, your service on the State Board of Education. Absolute pleasure to be with you and the opportunity to participate in, in the, the podcast. So, you know, I'll try to not do the, the whole bio and everything, but uh, give you a little background on myself. So uh, I guess the first thing, uh, not to sound like a, uh, a typical politician, but I am a lifelong Missourian and, and uh, go back in this state a number of years. And, and as a, uh, you know, a result of the public education system, I grew up in, in Independence, Missouri, but actually went to schools in Kansas City, Missouri Public Schools. Uh, my mother uh, was a, a teacher in Independence for 30 plus years, and my father was a community college administrator. So I've been around public education uh, a long time. So my um, my background when it comes to education and policy really comes from a couple different perspectives. I, I was blessed to serve uh, on a local school board. I was um, on the school board at Mid Buchanan, which is a district just south of St. Joseph, and, and did that for 17 years, which uh, was a great opportunity to give back to my community and, and truly enjoyed my time uh, on that school board. But during much of the time, I was also a state legislator. So uh, I was elected to the Missouri House of Representatives back in, in 1990, served uh, 12 years in the House, so, and People you know, watch these things and say, well, how did you serve 12 years? Well, I, I was elected pre-term limits, uh, and then uh, once term limits hit, I finished out my term in the House, and then served in the in the state Senate uh, for eight years. Uh, four of those years, I was the majority floor leader, and two, my last two years, I was the president pro tem of the Senate. And, uh, you know, that always brought me a great perspective uh, you know, particularly around education, but also the idea of having served on a local school board and being able to carry that information forward um, in the state legislature. So like most legislators in Missouri, uh, Missouri is considered a, a citizen legislature, which means um, the majority of us have other jobs and responsibilities. I was always in the healthcare business too, and spent 17 years at uh, Mosaic Healthcare in St. Joseph, uh, which at that time was called Heartland. And I've been with University Health uh, in Kansas City for the past 12 years and been CEO a little bit over eight years of University Health. University Health is a safety net hospital and an academic medical center. We're the teaching hospital for UMKC. University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine, Pharmacy, Dental, and Nursing. So that's my day job. But people say, well, why is a hospital guy interested uh, in education aside from just my background in the legislature? And I, I think it's it's really uh, important for healthcare people to be invested in education because one of the things we know is that the number one determinant of a per person's health status 
is his economic status. So, you know, just the fact that people have better economic conditions tend to live healthier lifestyles and, and live longer lives. We also know that the number one determinant of your economic status is your level of education. That is the direct connection between healthcare and education. People that have better education levels have better economic levels, and people that have better economic levels have better health status and have better health outcomes. So that's why I think it's important for me to be involved in education. So part of that involvement has been serving on the State Board of Education. I was appointed by then-Governor Jay Nixon. 10 years ago. So I've, I've been on the state board for 10 years and have been president for, I don't know, probably the last five or six years. Not sure exactly how long I've been president of the board. It's a great opportunity to bring back that connection of serving the legislature, local school board, and as a hospital CEO to bring that, that perspective forward, serving on the state board of education. And it's a, a great labor of love and it's a, a volunteer activity, but uh, it's the opportunity to make a difference for for our, our schools and our and our, our staff and our, our children in the state of Missouri. So that's uh, that's probably not as short a version as you were looking for, but that's kind of the, the, the shorter version of the bio that I have. So. so a couple of things. I like how you connect healthcare to education. I think that's really, really important. And the people that I serve in my association, many of them oversee healthcare benefits in their school districts. And obviously they're very involved in all of that work. And then making sure the environments are safe and healthy for students is, is just as important. So I really like that you made that connection. And then I was also thinking as you were giving your bio, um, I grew up in Jeff City. My dad worked for DESE. And I was thinking about when you were talking about some of the years you were serving and where I was at the time. And it's just always interesting to me, the overlaps in people's lives and how um, at the time you don't realize what the significance of that is. So that's just an observation and aside. From your perspective, and since you have so many different lenses, what do you think are some of the greatest challenges facing Missouri public schools right now? Well, there's a lot going on. You know, obviously your your members know that and and what some of the challenges are. But from my perspective, you know, the same thing we're seeing in in the hospital world. I mean, it's hard to find staff right now. I mean, you know, the, you know, people talk about the nursing shortage, and that's a very real thing. You know, we we solve it in the hospital world a number of different ways, but a lot of it is is you know we go out and hire what they call agency staff or traveling nurses, things like that. Well, that same exact thing is going on in education with the teacher shortage, but they don't have the same you know education doesn't have the same outlet. I mean, it's hard to go out and hire you know traveling teachers or agency teachers. That those don't exist. But the the teacher shortage issue is very real. It's obviously been exacerbated by the COVID pandemic and the challenges that came around uh, that and what face educators. So, you know, I think that's a very real challenge and, and, you know, we have to address that and we can talk a little bit later about Blue Ribbon Commission that the state board appointed and, and then what the results have been. So I think that's one challenge. I think the thing that educators also see is that more and more of the challenges that, that face society um, you know, drift into the school. So, you know, everything that, that we see out there are societal challenges around economics and, and you know, issues around diversity and, and different views of uh, thought, you know, that drifts into the school. So we're dealing with that as well. 
obviously um, the post-COVID recovery. So, you know, we had, you know, the vast majority of schools had some form of in-person learning uh, in the state, but but all schools experience educational loss during COVID. And how do we recover that? And how do we make sure that we we, we don't lose a, a generation of education of kids uh, in our state? I think that's a, a challenge that we're all you know struggling with. And yes, there are resources. There's a lot of federal money that flowed to schools, but you know how do you use that in, in the right way to make sure that we we get as much of that education recovery as possible? And then, you know, I think the biggest challenge that we see right now, in addition to those things, is just these you know, attacks on uh, public education. Now, obviously, election year, and, and we're starting to see that. But unfortunately, public education has, you know, sort of been, you know, weaponized in, in the political fights. And we see a lot of discussions, you know, around curriculum, we see discussions around transports you know, books and libraries, things like that, that become great, uh, you know, political fodder uh, in this fight. But, you know, in reality, most of us that are in schools are not dealing with these issues every day. And, but if you listen to the media, you would think that, you know, this is something that we're struggling with all the time. So there's a lot going on right now. And I think, you know, we have to, as educators, we can't just pick one issue and say, this is what we're going to work on. I think we have to work on all these things, but it does create some challenging opportunities for us. Absolutely. And I know you're going to talk a little bit about um, the blue ribbon panel, but when you were talking about staffing, obviously the teacher shortage is front and center, but it extends to all employee groups within school districts. Um, as you know, it's very difficult to find custodians and bus drivers and administrative assistants. I mean, there's there's no group that has been untouched. And it is a huge challenge trying to figure out how to get people to serve in those positions and being at a competitive disadvantage from a salary standpoint makes it even more challenging. And then when you were talking about um, all of the societal issues and I know kind of being caught in the crosshairs with the politics, that is extremely challenging and emotionally wearing on people. And I think it was, you know, you pointed that out. It's, it takes a toll on people in school districts. It really, really does. I, I think it's absolutely true. And like I say, you know, people, as you appropriately mentioned, I mean, people point to teachers and teachers, you know, obviously make up the vast majority of the education workforce. But, um, you know, the rest of the workforce in education are, are certainly not immune to it. They see the same things uh, and they see the same challenges. So you mentioned, you know, whether it's, you know, custodial staff or dietary staff or bus drivers or support staff. I mean, we're, we're all seeing the same challenges and, and dealing with, you know, some of the same attacks and, and what we're seeing. Uh, coming into public education. So it it does wear people down, but you know, I always remind people we're we're doing great work out there and that's the, the thing we have to remember. So absolutely. So when you there's an example of the some of these attacks that we got very personal for us. We recently hosted a conference down at the lake for support staff and one evening someone else who was not a part of our conference came up to our registration table and began to write on one of our signs. And when confronted, this person made it very clear 
that she is not a big fan of public education. And it was, it, again, it was just one of those very startling moments where you just weren't anticipating that type of reaction, but seeing that we were a group that works with public education employees elicited that type of response, really brought it home to me about just sometimes how volatile all of this can be. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I have, you know, kind of my own theory of where some of this comes from. And, you know, what I, I believe, so, I mean, there, there's one thing that I believe that is absolutely true, that if, if, if you look at public education across the country, public education remains probably the last biggest untapped source of, of public tax dollars that have not moved over and been, you know, privatized. You know, as, as you look at, you know, entities that, that want to try to get to the source of revenue, that one of the ways you do this is historically is you, you sort of build this level of, of mistrust in the system and then you makes it easier for you to make the argument uh, to privatize or move those dollars off in, in different directions. Now, uh, you know, I say that I, I don't want to imply that that everybody is a bad actor in this, but I do think there there is incentive to sort of create distrust in the public education system. So, you know, when we see these issues brought out, um, you know, er, you know whether it's around curriculum or it's around books or it's around other challenges that that we've seen, you know. A lot of that attention is, I think, fostered by folks that want to create that level of distrust with the idea that economically they can benefit from that level of mistrust by siphoning off some of those public tax dollars. So, uh, you know, I hope that's not a overly cynical view of what I see going on, but but I think, you know, people hear this day in and day out in their media uh, and they think, oh, my gosh, you know, all these awful things are happening in public education. Then you ask them, saying, "Well, is it happening in, in your school district or your school?" Oh, no, 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 that's not happening here. That's that's these other schools, but it's really bad stuff. And I think that's what tells me that you know this is not just by accident. I, I think there are some folks that are trying to benefit from this level of mistrust and creating this distrust in public education. And in public education, I, I don't want to say we're naive, but you know, we just not had to deal with this for a long time, and and we need to be very vocal in, in talking about the positive things that are happening in public education. I, I think that's part of our responsibility. You know, I had the opportunity to tour uh, a couple of the Blue Ribbon Gold Star schools with with the governor and the, and the commissioner of education. And the first thing I would say that if anybody ever gets to watch Governor Parson interact with school children, it, it's a true joy because he clearly loves to be around uh, students and, and find out what they're doing. But you know, we're in in these schools, and, and obviously these are high-performing schools, but it would be really hard to visit those schools and see what's happening in those schools and not come away with just a really a positive view of what's happening and the interactions between staff and students and the level of learning and education that's happening in those schools. It's the kind of thing that I think we need to talk about more, you know, what are the success stories uh, in public education and the good work and and make sure that we localize and we communicate well with our constituencies about public education, because I think that's how you, you fight the distrust that's out there. Absolutely. I don't know 
my background in communications and PR, we always talked about controlling the messages, changing the narrative. That's very, very difficult in this day and age. But I do think if the schools aren't proactively sharing the good news, as you mentioned, and all people ever hear is the bad news or the misinformation, that's a real problem. And there are so many good stories out there. There are so many examples of great things going on in our school districts. Um, and I just echo what you're saying, that that's the story that needs to be front and center, however we can get it out there. Sometimes, you know, as educators, we think, well, we shouldn't be spending resources on communication tools and things like that. But, but frankly, we have to make that kind of an investment. We have to tell our story because other people, if, if we don't talk about what we're doing and the positive things, other people will, will create the message for us. And that's not always positive. Yes, absolutely. So I want to go back. Do you want to talk a little bit about Blue Ribbon um, Report and some highlights from that and tell a little bit about what the next steps are in terms of that, those recommendations? Yeah. So like everybody in education, we realize that we're we're at a point where there's just a number of challenges related to teacher recruitment and retention. Uh, you know, the, everybody knows that, you know, we lose half of our teachers in the first five years of, of their career and they move on to other careers and, and you know, any other profession that, that would be a crisis. Uh, we also saw the challenges uh, in education, particularly as you talked about, with, with not just teachers, but all staff as a result of the COVID. I mean, there was, you know, right. this was clearly a stressful time. So the, the state board appointed a blue ribbon commission designed to look at this uh, issue and make recommendations. And we put them on a, you know, we did that this spring and we put them on a, a pretty quick time frame. They finished up in September and we just adopted the recommendations at the, the October board meeting of the state board. So it's really, the recommendations are, are, are fairly straightforward. You know, some of them are, are easy to implement. Uh, others will take more time. Uh, but there are a number of different things. I won't touch on them all, but, um, you know, clearly we think, you know, the pay issue is part of it. And uh, we made a recommendation that, uh, you know, we immediately raise the, the minimum salary for teachers to $38,000. Now, legislature and Governor Parson did that last year. We want to put that, say, we think they ought to put that permanently in, in place. We ought to put in place permanently career ladder. We ought to put in place uh, rewards for national board certification. All this designed to help you know raise the the pay for teachers because you know we got to move from being really in either close to the last or the last of the states in what we pay teachers both average teacher salary and beginning teacher salary in states so we need to move in that direction we also said long term it's it's about more than just you know beginning salary so we need to raise the average salary so we think that there needs to be created in legislation um, a separate fund uh, to do that, you know, that comes with, a, a, frankly, a pretty high price tag. Every time you raise the, the average salary, it, it's a big number, but there is some room in the state budget to do that. Then there are other recommendations around, you know, just the, you know, how do you improve the learning environment uh, for teachers? You know, do you allow more mental health uh, opportunities and more uh, uh, personal days to let teachers kind of regather themselves uh, during this really stressful time? So that's uh, that's what's in the recommendation. People can go out to the DESE website and, and find the entire report, and I would urge them to do so and read that. So the next steps in that 
Yeah, we're, we're actually in the process of taking that out across the state in a series of public meetings that will be in school districts and, and communities across the state. In every congressional district, we'll have state board members, uh, members from Desi, the commissioner there, as well as members of the Blue Ribbon Commission to talk about their, their findings with the idea of building support for these issues as we head into the next legislative session, which starts in January. So clearly we have a number of legislators and we had legislators that served on the commission that understand the importance of this, but we need to make sure that as we head into the legislative session post-election, that this becomes a major focus uh, of the, the General Assembly when they start in January. So that's, that's kind of the work uh, that we've laid out. We think it's a great first step. The next piece, though, the commission will work on, and this is a little bit longer term, but we need to talk about climate and culture in schools right now and uh, social-emotional learning, things like that, that are tougher to fix and take a longer bit of time, but are also a big part of the challenge of keeping uh, educators and staff in schools and, and be able to do this great work. Because it, as your members know, I mean, this some of the challenges they see every day around the, the, the environment in schools can be very challenging and very wearing on, on educators. Absolutely. So let's end with what are some of the best things about Missouri schools? You mentioned you've been out touring. You were with some of the um, Blue Ribbon Gold Star schools. If someone were to come to you and say, okay, tell me what's good about Missouri public schools, what would you say? Well, I, th I think people don't understand the level of learning that's going on uh, in schools right now. I mean, we're, we're talking about levels of education that what's happening to a third grader right now in Missouri is vastly different than when I was in third grade. So this idea that somehow that everything's been dumbed down over the years couldn't be more untrue. I mean, these kids are doing amazing things in our school. You know, I got to sit and watch kids demonstrate coding on iPads at, at the elementary yeah. level. I mean, that's just unheard of. You know, how, how can you do that? So the level of learning's uh, great. And then when you get to see the dedication uh, of both the teachers and school staff uh, to these kids, you realize, man, there are a lot of people that really are working hard for 900,000 Missouri students to make sure that they succeed. And ultimately, the state is going to benefit from that. So there's so much positive going on. That's why I encourage school officials and to the extent possible now that the pandemic is has waned a little bit. If we can get the public into our schools and see all these great things, that tells our message. And I think that's, uh, that's going to be good for public education in the long run. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed visiting with you. And thanks to the listeners for tuning in to this edition of School Biz Chat. If you like this new episode, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please share this episode with others who may be interested in this topic. Until the next time, Take care and thanks for all you do to keep students at the heart of school business. We'll keep chatting. This has been School Biz Chat with Kim Cranston. New episodes are released on the second and fourth Fridays of each month. If you have topics you'd like to be covered in the future, send Kim an email at kcranston at moasbo.org.